You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. So welcome everyone to this week's Coaching Inn. I'm Claire Pedrick and today I'm in conversation with Matt Abrahams who reached out on LinkedIn and said, do you want to talk about my new book, Think Fast, Talk Smart? And it sounds so like what do we as coaches need to do when we don't know what to say? But I went, yes, come. Welcome, Matt. I am thrilled to be in conversation with you. I, I, lo- I am a coach. I love coaching. I think it is so important. I'm excited to have our conversation. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey to coaching before we talk about the book, which is I, I'm really interested in. Thank you. Uh, So I have been a coach for decades now. Uh, I tell people I'm a reluctant coach. I'm first and foremost, I consider myself an educator, a teacher, and I've I've been teaching at Stanford's Graduate School of Business for 13 years. Prior to that, I taught at many, many other places. And many of my students upon graduation would go into the work world and they would recognize that the things I teach, which are communication, were, were a struggle in their place of business. So they would invite me to come in and do things. So uh, I started coaching simply to be in service of my former students, fell in love with doing it. And and I am now a, a coach and teacher. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't it interesting that so often people are a coach under something else? Absolutely. Uh, and I think in many ways, it's the right way to do it. Because if you have a passion and expertise, something you spend a lot of time with, then that makes sense that you would become a coach. Yeah. Yeah. So your book mm-hmm. and your podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart. Yes. What was the motivator be- behind writing it, Matt? Uh, primarily a need. Uh, most of us, if you think about it, spend a lot of our time communicating in the moment, spontaneously. Somebody asks a question, asks for feedback. You have to introduce yourself or others, make small talk. We don't often get training in how to do that. And so I wanted to bring that message to as many people as possible. We've talked about it on my podcast. Uh, I teach about it. It was, it was something that was brought to me as a challenge from the deans at the business school where I teach. We found that many of our students several years ago were struggling to answer cold call questions from the professor. You know, what do you think? And they asked me to try to help them feel more comfortable and confident doing that. So that was the origin of the interest. And then the reason to write the book was to help expand and extend this information to as many people as possible. So saying something when you don't know what to say. Uh, saying something when you're put on the spot to say something important. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And what's your hope for the book? What do you really, really want it to do? Uh, I want it to help people. Uh, I am fundamentally somebody who is all about helping and empowering people, especially around communication. And I, I hope the book will do it. I'm often asked, what does success look like with the book? And to me, it's the book is all tattered and people have dog-eared pages and they've got it highlighted and they keep coming back to it. The purpose of the book is to be helpful in the moment. It's not something you read and put up on a shelf and just hope that uh, it looks nice. So I, I, I would love people to use it and, and have it help them. I love that. My last book, um, Simplifying Coaching, people talk endlessly about how many colors of highlighter they've used in it. And then somebody else will go, I used six colors of post-it notes. I love it. Yeah, I I like post-it notes too. I like seeing all those different colors. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, a little tip, if you haven't done it, is to is to download your own Kindle version. Have you done that? I have not. No. Tell me more. If you download your Kindle version of your book, you can see what people have highlighted. Oh, really? So, so there's a way to see what everybody's highlighted. Wow. Yeah. And you can say this many hundred people love this friend, this sentence. And you think, oh, I didn't think that sentence was very impressive. I'm going to have to do that. Thank you. I did not know that. That's great. I, I, I'm still a paper guy. I like to read yeah. things on paper. Yeah. So I, I rarely look at the Kindle book. I yeah. just looked at it when it came out, but I don't typically use it. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. And then a guy called Alard de Jong sent me an email. He said, have you seen the comments in Kindle? Go read it. Go look, see what people have highlighted. You've given me some homework for the weekend. So there's my tip for you. Thank you. That's great. So talking of tips, what are your top tips for people who want to who want to know what to say when they're put on the spot? Well, there's several things. Uh, the book is full of counterintuitive ideas. The first is that we can all get better at this. Many people feel I'm either born with the gift of gab or not. And in fact, we can all get better at our spontaneous speaking. And so the first thing is you can get better at it. The second thing is you have to work at it, just like yeah. any school. So we have to practice it. So we have to first manage the anxiety that is inherent in communication. All communication planned are spontaneous. And then we go through the methodology, which is six steps. The first four have to do with mindset and the second two have to do with messaging. So it is my hope that people realize that they can do it, that it's important to do, that with some effort, they can feel better and more comfortable and confident when they do speak spontaneously. So you're talking about courage Oh, absolutely. I spend a lot of time talking about courage and confidence. So my first book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, was all about how to feel more comfortable and confident when you speak based on academic research. There are 50 techniques in there. I carry through a little bit of that in this new book because being courageous, taking that risk, taking the step into something that most of us feel very uncomfortable with is an important first step. Yeah. And I think the thing that strikes me about that, I've been in conversation with a few people this week about courage, is that you, mm -hmm. the only way to learn courage is to do courage. Uh, I think that's true. I think that's true. Uh, I, I think you have to have faith, desire, and the willingness to take a risk. And if you have that mindset, then that initial step becomes easier and you see the value in doing it. Yeah, and that might not be going to a speaker's thing and doing a talk, might it? I, I mean, I'm developing courage by learning paddleboarding. <laughs> oh, good for you. That's fantastic. I have lots of friends who do that. I hope you enjoy that experience. Well, I'm now learning courage by learning yoga so that I can stand up on the paddleboard so that I can learn paddleboarding. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, that's good. Well, how long have you been doing that? Uh, I started in the summer. So I'm, I'm trying to get the stretch right so that I can stand up without falling off. That's great. Do you have some place nearby where you can do that? Yeah. Yeah. And the and the paddleboarding teacher teaches yoga, so that's handy. Do you actually do yoga on the paddleboard? That would Not be yet. Cool. Not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Okay. We did it on the land, do. but doing okay. it on the land and doing it on the water are completely different. Oh, sure. Sure. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. But but it's about, isn't it? It's, for me it's about what are the what are the normal things in life that I can do? Well, not that paddleboarding's normal, but what are the practical things in life that I can do to learn to be courageous that actually are nothing to do with 
talking to people or asking questions or presenting or whatever. I think that's I think that's great. I, th- I like that attitude and finding the little things that allow you to express that courage, build that muscle so you feel more comfortable doing it more frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because all of this, I I think, and uh, I haven't read your book because because I've only just got my Audible credit and I read books on yes on listening, and it only came through today. But um, one of the things I like about what I've read is is the whole is the whole idea of of that spontaneous, be confident in a thing, but you've just got to say it. You've got to you've got to say what you're going to say. Absolutely. But when you say it, there are things you can do to help you say it so it lands better with your audience. It's easier for you to actually come up with what's important to say and you can package it well so the audience remembers it more. So courage is the first step in my methodology, feeling more comfortable and confident. I, I call it calm. And then from there, you have to do some other things to make sure that the recipient of the message uh, receives it the way you wish they would. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? From um, uh, there's a book called "Thanks for the Feedback," which I love because it talks. You must have read that, which talks about the difference between impact and intention. Yes, and how absolutely. often and how often we speak and and our intention is great, but the impact of what we say has a different kind of outcome. Yes, absolutely, and we have to be mindful of that, and we have to listen, adjust, and adapt as mm. we do it. Most of us in our communication are like that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, yeah. and uh, we need to actually reflect. We need to get feedback. That's how we actually improve and, and yeah. maximize the impact we have. Yeah, and leave the ghosts outside of what happened when it went wrong last week. I love that. Leave the ghosts outside. Yes. The, uh, the rumination, there's a difference between rumination and reflection. Ah. And we want to make sure that we reflect, learn and advance to ruminate caps, uh, keeps us in the past. I talk in the book about a, a famous American basketball coach, college basketball coach. His name is Mike Krzyzewski. And he taught all of his players. And this permeates now all sports, this notion of next play. So as an athlete, if you do something that doesn't go the way you want, you can sit and ruminate in that moment, but the play is continuing behind you. If you're a basketball player and you miss a shot and you sit there and beat yourself up or, or try to figure out why it all went wrong, the other team has got the ball down the other way. So we we have to take this next play mindset in the moment. But after the game, we do a lot of reflection. And many of us, when something doesn't go the way we want, we immediately flip into rumination and a whole bunch of other negative things. Um, and, and so I'd make that distinction between rumination and reflection. I like that. And rumination means that next time <laughs> the person who we had a bad conversation with last week is also in the room and the one who had the, we had the bad conversation with the week before. That's right. That's right. We keep it, you know, th- yeah. there is there are learnings to be had, but we don't need to keep bringing that back into the present. Yeah. yeah. And that takes a lightness as well as a courage, doesn't it? It absolutely does. It, it, it does. And, and it takes a... Um, a, a sort of a momentum mindset where you see things in the future. That's why I love Carol Dweck's work so much. Uh, growth mindset is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what coaching's about, isn't it? Being future focused. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Be a guide on the side. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your, your other tips? 
Oh, By the I way, so everybody, many. you need to read this book. Just <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I have so many tips. So the methodology itself starts with anxiety management, confidence building, being coming more calm. The next step is to dial down the pressure that we put on ourselves. A lot of us, when we communicate, we want to do it right. And I am here to share with you, Claire, there is no right way to communicate. There are better ways and worse ways, but no right way. So we have to reframe the speaking to not be about perfection, but about connection. We really want to connect with others. And when we turn down that volume of striving to get it right, we actually free up cognitive bandwidth to do it well. So I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't judge and evaluate what we say, but we all do it, especially in high stakes situations, more than it is helpful. So focus on the value you are bringing to the people you're speaking with rather than am I saying it right, whatever that right is. That's step two. Step three is about seeing these situations as opportunities, not threats and challenges. When many people are put on the spot, they feel they are being threatened and challenged. Imagine a Q&A after a presentation or your boss asking you for feedback. Many of us say, I have to do this the right way. I, I, I Otherwise, bad things will happen. So seeing it as an opportunity to connect, to collaborate, to extend much, much better, much, much better. And it sets you up in a more collaborative way. Step four is listening. Seems a, a little strange that in a, in a spontaneous speaking situation, I'm talking about listening, but you need to listen deeply to make sure that you respond appropriately. Many of us listen just enough to get the gist of what somebody is saying. And then we hope that our comment will land. So we actually have to very much listen deeply those are the mindset steps. Manage anxiety, get out of your own way, see it as an opportunity and listen deeply. The last two steps are messaging steps. Many of us, when we speak in the moment, just rattle off information. We list things, we itemize, we give lots of bullet points. Our brains are not wired for lists. They're wired for story, for structure, a beginning, a middle and an end, logical connection of ideas. So I spend a lot of time in the methodology talking about structure. And the whole second part of the book is all about specific spontaneous speaking situations like apologizing, giving a toast or a tribute, making small talk, answering questions. And each one of those I associate a particular structure with so that people can have in their toolkits things that they can use if and when needed. And then the final step is focus. Uh, many of us say more than we need to. When we speak in the moment, and I know it's very strange for me to end a very long answer talking about being concise, but we need to follow my mother's advice. She did not create it, but I try to live by this mantra. Tell me the time. Don't build me the clock. Many of us are clock builders when we speak spontaneously and we need to just tell the time. And if people want to know more about how the clock was built, they will ask us. So the six steps in and of themselves are full of very specific bits of advice there are what I call try this activities throughout. So as you come to a concept, you try it. I believe the best way to learn this is to do it. And then at the end of each chapter, I have what I call drill it ideas. And these are things that take a little longer. Think of them as homework. So you then after you put the book down, you try some, you do some of those things. So long-winded answer, lots of bits of advice. The methodology actually steps you through several of it, several steps. Yeah, I, I love the thing about listening. Somebody once said that the opposite of listening isn't the opposite of speaking isn't listening. It's waiting to speak. Yes, exactly. Uh, and that and that doesn't work. But I, I, as you're talking, I'm really recognizing and I hope our listeners are too, just quite how relevant this is for coaches. 
Oh, absolutely. And how often I notice that coaches, I will hear coaches ask a question and then ask it again and ask it again. Um, I was in dialogue with a bunch of coaches this morning and we were talking about the conversation being part, you pass the conversation between you, you and the person you're working with. Absolutely. And you have to respond in that moment. You know, a lot of coaching is observing what's going on and then being able to listen to what's behind sometimes what's being said. You know, I I always use the example. If you and I came out of a meeting and you said, what do you think? How did that go? I would hear feedback and I start itemizing all the things that I think went wrong that could have gone better. But had I really listened, I might have noticed you came out the back door that you were looking down, that you had less affect in your voice. And what maybe you really needed when you were asking for feedback was not feedback, but support. And because I just listened superficially, I thought you wanted feedback. And by itemizing all the things that went wrong or could have gone better, I actually did us a disservice. And I might have strained our relationship rather than embracing it. So listening is really important, especially when coaching, because sometimes people don't know how to articulate what they want to say or how they're feeling. And a good coach will listen, not just to what is said, how it is said, the context in which it is said, and then develop a response that's appropriate. And you just described beautifully there, Matt, the idea of listening and looking and hearing the sound. So not just listening to the words. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We have to listen to more than what we we hear or see. Yeah, that's exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it can be very tiring to listen with this level of intensity. But in so doing, uh, it really makes a difference in people's lives. Absolutely. 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 I'm curious in terms of coaches... So people who are facilitating the thinking of others, where do you think the connections are, Matt? Uh, So connections and commonality, shared experience, I think, are really important uh, to demonstrate uh, an understanding and an empathy. So I think shared experience is a really important place to connect. I think connecting on goals where people want to see themselves and what they are hoping for is also very important. If you have a disconnect there, that can be really challenging. And a a disconnect in terms of just commonalities in, in life. You know, I find that the folks that I can coach the best and are most open are people who uh, have an openness and, and have some shared experience in, in life in general. Yeah. One of the things that I notice in coaches is the is that sometimes the desire to preload the questions. So to have in your mind, here are some really great questions I can ask. And you're talking much more about about managed spontaneity. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So it doesn't mean you go in completely blank. You have I always use the analogy to sports. An athlete trains and drills and does lots of things to prepare for the spontaneity. And that's the second of the big counterintuitive ideas in the book is you can prepare to be spontaneous, which sounds ironic, but but in fact, it works. Um, and so uh, as a good coach, you help people prepare and you you prepare yourself. So you think about what are some of the situations that might arise when I'm coaching this individual, but you don't script it out, but you think through, okay, if somebody struggles with this, I might have this as a plan, or I might bring this tool along. So you're ready, 
but you're not prescribing exactly what's going to happen and therefore miss the nuance and the subtlety and and allow yourself uh, or preclude yourself from being agile in that moment. Yeah, yeah. And I love the concept that when we go into something, we've prepared, maybe we haven't prepared at all, but we've prepared for 20, 30, 40 years. Oh, absolutely. But right, exactly. So preparation doesn't have to be just in that moment. Preparation can be uh, something that has happened, you know, in your life. But I do believe we need to recount that and reflect on it and pull lessons learned. Just because I've done something doesn't mean I can coach somebody else in doing it. And so I have to think about what makes it work. What are the steps? How, what are the best practices? So lived experience is very important to coaching. Absolutely. And I often, when people are are searching for coaches who do what I do, what I coach, I say the most important thing is fit. You want to find a coach who you are comfortable with and you think can help you, but you also want to make sure they know what they're talking about. And, and it's possible to be a coach and not be somebody who has done something, but you certainly want to understand their depth of experience and knowledge on something. Uh, and just because somebody's done something for a long, long time doesn't mean that they can coach it well. No. So there's something about wisdom there. Uh, yes. Wisdom and lived experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next book? Uh, I'm not sure there's a next book. Oh. The, the, I, I'm leaning in fully to the podcast. Um, I, I I think where I'm at right now is there's there's a lot to be done in the application of the current book. Um, If I were to write another book, and I certainly have not planned it, uh, I have always had a fantasy. So I've done martial arts for 40 years and I've taught martial arts. I've been coached by a great martial artist. Um, And the, the martial arts teach you so much about connecting with other people. It sounds very strange because most people see the martial part of the martial arts, but the martial arts have a big connection, respect, uh, component to it. And and I'm, if I were to write something in the distant future, it might be how you can apply the lessons from the karate studio, the karate dojo to life, uh, particularly in the way we connect with others and communicate. That sounds so interesting. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> but I'm not, I, I'm not doing it right now. Because there's a dance, I'm guessing, in martial arts. Uh, in many ways, it is. In many ways, it is. Um, but it it works. Um, it, it works for me. It's been a vehicle through which I have learned a lot about myself and others. We've had on the podcast a few times um, dancers <laughs> talking uh-huh, about yeah. prof- professional yeah. dancers talking about about partnership. And I'm. Yeah. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about partnership and martial arts, because, of course, it's not about fighting, I'm guessing. It's about the co-creation of the thing. Correct. So so and this is true of communication, if you think about it. I mean, whenever I am in communication, as I am with you right now, we are partnering together to be successful in this communication. And that's the goal. There are people who can be obstinate and blocking in their communication, but True partnership in communication, as in the martial arts, is you have a shared goal. You are co-creating the actions that get you towards that goal. You have to be, to do it well, I believe, you have to be present-oriented and responsive to what's needed. And I do make a distinction between responding and reacting. And it's important to share both in the successes and in the failures, uh, if we call them failures, in that partnership and action. So 
um, the the true joy, I think, in any collaborative endeavor is the blending of the ideas and the experience with somebody else. That also connects for me with improv. Oh, yeah. Big fan of improv. Are you? Do you do improv? Uh, we, we do improv as part of our coach training to train uh, people to be present. Oh, absolutely. Improvisation is fantastic. Um, I, I, the improv, you will, you, in the book, you will see lots of, uh, paying homage to improv. I have a partner in crime who I teach a class on communication through the lens of improv. His name is Adam Tobin. He's an expert improv, uh, improviser. Uh, I believe improv is so important and the principles of improv are really principles that help you just be in the moment and responsive. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm thinking that maybe we should run a course with a martial arts teacher. Yeah, uh, I think I think it would be great to to do that. And a lot of martial arts is improvisation. It's responding to what's needed in the moment. And courage and all the other things that we've been talking about. Oh, absolutely. About. Absolutely. And the thing I like about the martial arts, as silly or strange as it sounds, is feedback is immediate. And sometimes the feedback is painful, quite literally, uh, but you get immediate feedback. There's, there aren't many things we do where we get as much feedback as quickly as we do. I do when I do martial arts. Wow. So I'm just really curious. So do you do this several times a week? So I train every morning. Uh, wow. It's part of my ritual. Uh, just a little bit, not very much, not very long, 10, 15 minutes. But I, I, weekly I do it. I, I did it. I did it more frequently when I was younger, but uh, it takes time. But yes, no, it, it's part of my routine. And that's a drill, which is what you were describing at the end of each chapter of your book. Absolutely. So, so uh, a pattern of practice is really important, I think, for, for anybody who is learning something new or trying to, to maintain what they have learned. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I can hear everybody messaging in going, oh, now there's improv, there's dancing, there's, there's. <laughs> Martial arts, it, you say jujitsu? These are all, uh, so I have studied jujitsu, yeah. but not, uh, it's a different style that I do. Okay. But the, but the, um, the, you know, I think I, I firmly believe that there are lots of ways into this way of being in the world and, and, and thinking, and the martial arts can be one, dance can be one, poetry can be one. There's so many different ways that just bring us in connection with ourselves. And that's, that's really where I think there's a lot of power. Um, and some of these, I believe, have easier, there are easier analogies to lessons you can learn in communication. Some, I think, are a little more challenging, but I think they're there. You just have to look for them. Yeah. And they're about what we do as much as they are about what we know. Absolutely. What you do, what you know. Very, very yeah. well put. Yes. So you're talking about embodied learning. And I'm a big fan of that. I, I think there are lots of ways to learn. Uh, you know, as an academic, we tend to focus on the cerebral way of learning. But what makes my stuff a little different when I teach is that um, we it's all about the experience. It's about the experiential learning that's so important. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. Would you say that the work you do is somatic? Sure, sure. I mean, I, I think I, I think communication is a is a full body and mind experience, and so I do think that it that it it applies that way. I tend not to to focus on that, but but I certainly because it's in your body. 
Absolutely. Because you're drilling. Yeah, and we day. have visceral responses to things. You know, when, when somebody says something or as a coach, when you see something, you get really excited or you're like very concerned or, or a mishmash of, of positive and a negative uh, experiences. Yeah. Yeah. But what a great insight that actually it's really worth thinking about. What are the things that we do that are nothing to do with our craft, our professional craft that actually tunes our body, our mind, our spirit? to be able to do the work well. That's right. That's right. And and I always encourage people to take care of their bodies. You know, I, I when I teach people to be speakers, communicators, I say there's this communication hygiene. You need to treat your body as if you're an athlete. You should get a good night's sleep. You should eat well before you speak. Yeah, all these, you should do exercise to, to help calm and center yourself. So there are, are, are a lot of things that we can do to, nourish the body and mind to set us up for success, just like we would an athlete. Yeah. Well, Matt, what an amazing conversation. Thank you. I have enjoyed it very much. I love getting meta about coaching. That's great. So how do people find out more about the podcast and the book and you? Well, lots of ways to do that, but the best I would suggest is go to mattabrahams.com. All of my stuff is there. I am a huge user of LinkedIn, and I encourage everybody, if you enjoy this podcast, learning about how to coach, uh, Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast I host, is all about learning communication. We have 20-minute bite-sized episodes to really help people feel better. So check out the podcast, check out the book at mattabrahams.com, and if you're on LinkedIn, let's connect. Fantastic. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming to the Coaching Inn. I loved the inn. It was uh, the, the fire was warm, the conversation was great, and the learnings were fantastic. So thank you. Time zone breakfast versus evening beer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, where I am in the world relative to you, it is definitely breakfast time, not beer time. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.